Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort. Let's discuss. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We have a lot to cover in a Friday show. That's okay. We're up for it. Before we get started, I'm still taking um, emails about the book launch, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes today so it'll be easier for people to just click and sign up instead of having to email me. And um, so it's been so great to hear from everybody, and I'm going to be sending an email soon telling sort of what's involved um, in being on the team and getting on the team, et cetera. Also, we wanted to remind everybody we have an event coming up in November in Gettysburg, and tickets are now available. We're really excited about that. And with that business out of the way, let's get cracking. Can I just say that I went back and listened to my August 21st Nightly Nuance, and it was hilarious because I'm like, with all the news today, because I recorded it earlier than a day, and I was like, with all the news today, and I even know I recorded it, 
And I knew what I was going to say next, which was very interesting. I just want to say about the emissions changes. I I thought I was going to say like Manafort and Cohen. It was just funny that that was the phrasing I used on that day to record that when all the news broke at like five with them simultaneously being uh, Paul Manafort being convicted on eight counts and Michael Cohen pleading guilty. It was just it was a with all the news today. Everybody was not talking emissions by that point in the evening. I could tell you that much. No, but it's still really important. And I think one of the things that I feel even more conviction about this week is that we take our time and ground ourselves in the facts and still focus on the rest of the world as it turns, especially the things that we're able to impact. So there's a part of me that doesn't want to devote a whole episode to Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen, but here we are Mm -hmm. because it is on everyone's minds. Here's the thing, too. I think at this point... You know, I, I, I always like to be the political pragmatic voice to your um, higher to your calling to our higher selves. It is you're right. It is sort of the right way to approach this, to take a deep breath and take your time. Also, politically and pragmatically doesn't matter because there's nothing he can do that's going to be this like instantaneous result. I did have this conversation with a friend of mine about whether a, a mere week ago when it seemed like something was going to come out that would be surely change people's opinions of Donald Trump. And it was about Omarosa and her tapes and whether he'd said the N-word on tape. And I said, do you think that would do it? In fact, I texted my Trump supporting father and said, would this change your opinion of him? And he was like, no. no." I'm like, "Okay, great. That's awesome. And so we were talking to I was talking to a friend of mine. I'm like, what would it take? Literally, what would it take for it to be an instantaneous result from a Republican Congress? And the only thing I could settle on is if he backhanded Ivanka on camera. And I'm not even sure then if that would do it. But I'm getting ahead of us. We'll talk about the the Republican response. I just think that you're right. We shouldn't respond quickly. But it also just doesn't matter because we're not going to get an instantaneous response from Congress because his freaking lawyer stood up and said he directed me to commit a felony. And what? was that? Has anything happened that I've missed? Well, I think that there are maybe four categories for us to think about as we process this from a take a breath kind of place the legal issues the political issues and so my fellow americans sort of the collective social issues what you're getting at with your dad and trump supporters and what it would take to change people's opinions and i think that's where some of the efforts at misdirection go as well mm-hmm. it's bad for the people and then i think there's the individual reaction just what what should it mean to me when things like this happen? Boy, was my face red. Do you, how do you feel about those four categories, Sarah? I think that sounds great. Well, why don't we start legally then? I am doing a detailed breakdown on the nightly nuance. Wednesday night, I talked about Michael Cohen's statement of information filed in connection with his plea. So walking through exactly what it is he told the court that he did and how the president plays into that. I found it very helpful. I'm so glad to hear that. And last night, I walked through the Manafort verdict in a level of detail. What I think is important to talk about on the show today is our understanding legally what this means for the president. And my analysis of this, Sarah, tell me if you disagree, is today, not much. But only because he's president. I think that's right. the important that's the important sort of caveat to that. Because correct me if I'm wrong, John Edwards definitely went to jail for this. Yeah, it's I I I have read some analysis saying here's how it's similar to John Edwards and here's how it's different. I think it is 
100% true that if he were not the president, he would be indicted today. Right. So he definitely, I mean, that's the thing. To me, it's just that they've all sort of, we've all agreed not to indict a sitting president, sort of. I mean, the Supreme Court hasn't made a decision on that. And I get why, because if you had, it could turn ugly quick, and I understand that. But at the same time, he still broke the law. Let's talk for a second about that, because there is a conversation happening right now that's an attempt to say these aren't real crimes. I like that. I like that. I want to talk about that. What does that mean, real crime? Because I went to law school, and my understanding of crime is if you broke the law. Did they teach you something different in law school? I understand the perspective that typically campaign finance violations are dealt with administratively, not in a criminal court. So we have lots of laws that when we break those laws, it's not a crime in the sense that we're going to be punished through a criminal tribunal, right? Right. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's not a crime. Well, just because some people get lesser punishments from the same category, broad category you're including as this type of crime, doesn't mean you didn't break the law and it's not a crime. That's ridiculous. You br- you get the speed limit. You get off with a warning. You still broke the law. It's still a crime. I don't understand this definition at all. There are a couple of contradictory things that I'm thinking about, and lawyers who have expertise in these areas, and even those who don't, will probably be able to tear apart what I'm about to say. With that caveat, (laughs) I think there are two conflicting things here. One is that often when crimes are packaged together, that increases our perception of their seriousness. Mm -hmm. An example of this is felony murder. So usually if you're going to kill someone, you have to have the intent to kill them. And if we're going to call it murder, you have to intend to kill them. But we say, if somebody dies while you're committing another crime, that's murder, even if you didn't intend them to die. But you still have to have the intent to commit the first crime. Yes. If you intend to rob someone and you kill them in the process of robbing them, even if you didn't intend to kill them, we say that's murder. Mm -hmm. And so there's a correlation, I think, to... Okay, a campaign finance violation is one thing. A campaign finance violation wrapped up with lying to banks and not paying your taxes and not reporting income and actively concealing your income from the government and your accountants. Maybe that raises the level of seriousness of all of it because it's a package of things. That's not a novel concept in the law, right? Right. The other thing that I think is going on is that We do tend to deal with these things administratively because typically campaign finance violations are you didn't hire the right people Mm -hmm. to help you do this correctly. And I don't think that's a great line of defense, right? Right. Because it basically is saying everyone is super corrupt. Just some people are better at it than others. And this is really a crime of incompetence. But I think that ignores the intent behind Mm -hmm. this campaign finance violation. Yep. Because the intent behind this campaign finance violation wasn't to take in a whole bunch of money so we could do an ad buy. It was Mm -hmm. to take in a whole bunch of money so that we could kill a story that would be relevant to some voters. Yep. I think that's I mean, I think that's it exactly. I think he's being so disingenuous surprise when he's talking about campaign finance violations. Yeah, look, look, I'm a candidate. Some of that stuff's hard to keep up with. Like, I get it. And I understand administratively that mistakes are made and they say, hey, 
you made this mistake, pay the fine, deal with it. But the reason that at certain points, and it's not like that's unheard of, again, see, John Edwards, that this rises to the level of we're going to put you in jail for this is because there is like a concentrated effort to defraud the voters, to lie to the voters, to keep information from the voters that they would want to know. And that's exactly what happened here. It wasn't like, oh, man, you you missed a filing deadline or you didn't report this or and listen important fun fact you don't even have to be involved in a sex handle for it to re- reach the level that you're getting indicted see duncan hunter like hello like the this money is not a bank account for candidates to use to pursue their personal dreams or kill their personal faults from getting out to the voter like that it's not just a bank of money you get to do with whatever you want and those laws are important and i think there's this this under narrative going on right now that's like well like you know campaign money so corrupt anyway what does this matter well it does matter it does matter and i don't love the way campaign finance works but i'm also not ready to abandon any attempt to keep it legal or separate or applying to important campaign spending as opposed to whatever you want to spend it on. And I think that there is a thread under both the Manafort and Cohen situations from people who support the president who are trying to be dismissive of all this. These aren't that big of a deal. And yes, they did them, but they're only getting caught doing them because people want to get the president. And what I would say in response to that, just in the framework of our criminal justice system, is that most people only get caught because of something, mm-hmm. right? We we aren't error-proof in who we find out is doing crime and how we treat them. There are always lots of reasons that that happens. And I would like to see us extend more grace to the person who just happened to get pulled over in a speed trap and have weed in his car. Mm-hmm. You know, but we don't give that kind of grace, right? We say he broke the law. We don't give grace to people who enter the country in an undocumented way. We say they broke the law. And so whatever reason um, prompted an investigation of these two gentlemen, they broke the law. Mm-hmm. And I really want to say that I appreciate the juror who has spoken out from the Manafort trial mm-hmm. about the fact that she is a Trump supporter, that she will vote for him again in 2020. There are many things about her that I truly do not understand. But she understood her role as a juror. And she said the evidence was overwhelming here that he did this. I didn't want him to have done it, but he did. And it was my responsibility to say so. That took an enormous amount of courage. And that is the way our system is supposed to work. And so I'm really relieved that the system is working the way it's supposed to work. God bless our jury system. That's going to be my gratitude moment. Sneak peek for Tuesday. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Politically, moving on from the legal category, you know, what I'm frustrated at right now politically as a Democrat is this idea, this narrative coming out that the Democrats aren't going to talk about impeachment. And I I struggle so badly because I get it. I get it. I understand the political pragmatic reason that you would not want to bring up impeachment, that you don't want to see as, you know, hungry for his fall, 
And that's the only reason to like me is so we can take out Donald Trump, even though I think there's some in the base that would really respond well to that. And at the same time, I'm just frustrated because I feel like he did something wrong. And what the Democrats are saying is we are not going to point out that he broke the law because it might hurt us politically. And that bums me out, man. It really does. A tricky thing for everyone here, I think, is that what we have now, federal court testimony, essentially, to prove that he broke the law on is probably the least of the issues. It's a big deal. I don't discount it at all. It's not something that I think is going to make everybody sit up straight in their chairs and take notice of. Because he's, he does so many things. We had a conversation this week when we weren't recording about how the corruption here is in plain sight. And there's so much of it that how do you even know where to begin? And given everything that is in plain sight, imagine what goes on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to tweet, oh, Jim Clapper is being nice to me right now so I don't take his security clearance away. What kind of shakedowns are you doing when the door is closed and no one's watching? Mm-hmm. And how do we even begin to get at all of that? And so I sympathize with being in the position of saying we should impeach him over campaign finance violations when that's like just the tiniest crumb of a mountain of corruption here. It's it's really it's a hard thing. I know. And I, that's a good point. I I think that the the what even grosses me out so much about the shakedowns of Twitter beyond that is this open Manafort is staying strong. He's awesome. Cohen's weak. Like the fact that, that he is awful. openly tweeting, like just laying bare that he is trying to influence. I mean, clearly Paul Manafort's putting all his eggs in the pardon basket. I mean, are we all agreed on that at this point? He's going to trial. He's where I think he's just betting that Donald Trump's going to pardon him. Well, and Donald Trump is telling millions of people at a time everything but he is. Right. I mean, it's, it's just it's the, the manipulation of the justice system in plain sight. It's almost so hard to get to him because everything is just out here and there's so much yeah. of it. I think it is smart to focus on he is corrupt instead of we're going to impeach him. I'm not necessarily mad about that part because I do think this idea that the only thing that matters is whether he colluded with Russia. Well, that might be the only thing that the Republican leadership has decided matters, but it's certainly not the only thing that matters to me. The fact that he is using his hotel right down the street to exploit the presidency of the United States for profit, much less his country clubs, much less his business dealings, like all that bothers me. And I think that it's been neglected because we were all trying to hope that he colluded with Russia, which I think he probably did. But I think that that is important to the American people. I think those sort of ethics violation, I have to believe at a certain point, become hard to ignore. I don't understand how Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton got this reputation for being so Washington, D.C. and so corrupt that people couldn't stand them. Would they? Nobody, they were never indicted for a single thing. No one ever stood up in court and accused them of an illegal act, despite, you know, the investigations themselves, just the investigations, lent such a smell of corruption to them. How is he escaping the stench when not only do we have proof, but that, like you said, it's happening in plain sight. It just, it's so frustrating to me. 
So politically, I think there are some very thorny issues here. The thing that I just want to stay focused on is that I really think the only recourse that the American citizens have at this point directly against the president is electing different people. And I think we should elect different people for a number of reasons that have played out over the past two years. But the election is the thing to care about. If you're processing all this news and and still sitting in your house hoping that Robert Mueller changes the governance of our country, I think you're going to be disappointed because I think that's not his charge. We have to elect different people. And Chad and I have talked a lot about Robert Mueller and that role. I'm grossed out by the commentary about what a good day it was for him. And this is a big win. And I don't, I cannot imagine that Robert Mueller feels great about any of what's going on. I am encouraged that his approval ratings are going up. I'm not going to lie about that. I can't imagine that he cares about that at all. When you think about what he has seen and known and been through and done for this country, I hope that he feels as sad about everything as I feel about it. He's doing his work and he's doing a good job. And I think that's probably all that matters to him right now. So I I find it gross when people talk about Robert Mueller like he's a brand that's competing against the Trump brand. Mm -hmm. And I also think he has really difficult decisions to make about how to deal with this president. And if I were him, knowing far less about this world than he does, the only thing I can think to do is to just take the full story to Congress and say, here it all is. You're going to have to deal with this now. Yeah. Let's take a short break, Sarah, and then come back and talk about the collective and individual ways that we can process what's happened this week. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. 
The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy so we talked about the legal issues and the political issues here i think it's interesting to look at this conversation that's playing out in the wake of these two verdicts it's bad for the people Yeah, I heard someone on NPR describe it as a split-screen response, and I think that is so accurate because, you know, everyone, mostly on the left, including, you know, I hate to put everything that's not Fox News on the left. I don't think that's fair to a lot of news organizations, but as sort of like this history, groundbreaking news moment, which I believe it was, and then on the right, you have Fox News and other right-wing media with only coverage of the murder of Molly Tibbetts. And for those of you who are not following the story, Molly Tibbetts, and it's just, it breaks my heart because I I got the facts of her life to make sure I, I told her story fairly. And her birthday just alone, she was born on May 8th, 1998. This is a really young woman who went for a run. She's a college student at the University of Iowa. She went for a run and then went missing, and her body was found recently. She'd been murdered. And the reason that it's playing out in such a mass media way is that the murder was allegedly committed by a man without legal immigration status. So, you know, the White House, Donald Trump himself has been doing videos saying, this is why you need to elect Republicans because the immigration system is broken, which, side note, don't disagree. The immigration system is broken. And that's why you need Republicans, because you should be concerned about this and it's fear-mongering in its purest basis form. And I cannot fathom the heartbreak of this family. And I feel such pain for these families, for Molly Tibbetts' family, for Seth Rich's family, for the people whose children were killed in Parkland, who then not only do they lose a child, but then they have to sit and watch as their child becomes a character in the reality show of our politics. 
I cannot imagine how infuriating and heartbreaking that must be. I understand and I try to give a lot of grace to the fact that there are people in this country who have different values than me and who believe that the death of a young American woman at the hands of an illegal immigrant is much more tragic than, let's say, the death of a young woman at the hands of an ICE agent, an illegal immigrant at the hands of an ICE agent. And I am willing to make space for that. I think there is space for people who believe that it is more important to protect Americans than other people. I just am. It's not exactly, it does not align with my values, and I'll be honest with that. But I don't think that your concern for this woman's family or her death is wrong or immoral. I can understand it. And I'm willing to make room for that conversation. But to use this death as a gotcha, to trot it out as a political talking point, is just, it's so gross. It's just so gross. We can have a conversation about immigration reform. We can even have a conversation about crimes committed by illegal immigrants. Fine. If that's something you're concerned about, let's talk about it. But do we have to do it like this? It's such a strange moment to be talking about ourselves as a nation of laws because we Mm -hmm. have these two. It is a split screen view of what laws matter to Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. I think a good starting place might be that we all bring a level of hypocrisy to that. None of us are 100 percent consistent on which laws we value and want enforced strictly and which we don't. And that's okay. That is okay. It's I think it's healthy not to elevate the law to such an unchangeable thing that we're unwilling to test it against the lens of what we think is fair and what our own sense of justice dictates in a particular situation. What I've realized for myself and my values that I bring to discussions about laws and which laws are important to me and which laws I care more about being enforced is I care about the exploitation of our legal system by those in power. It bothers me more when powerful, wealthy people break laws because they have power within our system to exploit it. It is not to me endemic of a systematic problem when people without power break the laws, be they illegal immigrants, welfare recipients, poor people, the mentally ill, like these are people who do not exploit our system or do not have the power to exploit our system in the ways that the powerful and the wealthy do. Now, I don't carry a lot of moral value for for respect for authority. I just don't. It's not, I don't, I'll be honest. I just don't. And so maybe that's the difference here is that I think there for a lot of people in the country, respect for authority and for better or for worse in our culture, a lot of authority comes from wealth and whiteness and maleness. So that is something that they don't want to see threatened. And again, I am desperately trying to make space for that, at least to just try to understand it. I'm heartbroken for this family. I'm so, so sorry their daughter died, as I am for every family of a victim of a tragic, heinous, violent crime like that. When I think about my values and the law, and particularly about my sense of what we punish and what we don't punish. I try to keep myself grounded in the principle that every person belongs. 
That doesn't mean that every idea belongs. There are lots of ideas that don't belong. And it doesn't mean that every behavior belongs. There are lots of behaviors that don't belong, but every person belongs. So no one is saying, let us have our country be overrun with illegal immigrants who intend to come here to commit violent crimes. Zero people want that. And that, I think, is the tragedy of telling a story like this for the purpose of saying, look at this entire group of people who don't belong because of what this one person did. And that's the intention of telling the story this way. I, too, am heartbroken. This should be covered. A young woman was murdered. That's wrong, and it's awful, and it's and her story is worthy of telling, and her family is deserving of our compassion, our respect, and our sympathy. To tell that story in order to say, so many people don't belong here, is also wrong. That act didn't belong here. Some of that person's ideas don't belong here. But that doesn't mean that that person doesn't belong and isn't part of all of us. And that's why I continue to have conversations about criminal justice reform overall and why I don't want to lock anybody up unless it is an extreme situation because I think we are too quick to throw people away. And I don't want to throw people away. That's not consistent with my values. So it's not that I think that breaking laws doesn't matter. It's what we do next and what we make that mean. And my problem with the way this story is being told is what we're making it mean. It means something really important on its own. It does not tell us a story about entire categories of human beings. And can I also say what really infuriates me about the story being told is the the language about the Tibbetts family has been permanently separated from their child. As if temporarily separating young children from their parents at the border is worth it if it prevents crimes against Americans. As if those things are connected. As if the idea that you have to punish migrant children, you have to mistreat migrant children, you have to separate migrant children from their parents in order to prevent crimes against American children. Just stop it. Stop it. That is such a base, gross, immoral calculus you are asking people to do. And, you know, that's something that has occurred to me in this entire discussion about Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen. When I hear people saying what they did isn't so bad, or they're just trying to get at the president through these poor guys, and the whole thing is a witch hunt, and they just don't like that they lost, right? I fear that we are eroding our republic in that we are deciding it's just about the people that I like. Not even the people I really agree with on policy or people who I think do a good job for us. It's just I've cast my lot with these folks and whatever happens, I just want them to be in charge. And that's exactly what 
what I am always trying to think about as the antithesis of our system, right? That's that's why we have a million conversations on this podcast about doing things via executive order and how it's just not the right way to do it because eventually someone will be issuing executive orders that you don't agree with. And the process is our protection from that. But we're not having that conversation right now. We're having the conversation of, I don't like these people, therefore they need to be impeached and cast into jail and whatever else is possible. Or, no, I like these people. And so whatever they did, it's not so bad as what I think someone else might do who I don't like. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what my father said to me. I would support him unless I see there's someone better and I don't see anybody better right now. So as long as there's no, and to me that means there's no objective level, there's no objective standard. It's all relative to how much I hate the other side. And we have been practicing for much longer than we've talked about Donald Trump as a political figure. We have been practicing an automatic disdain mm-hmm. for people who have chosen the other team. I listened to the National Reviews podcast, the editors, uh, yesterday because I wanted to hear a perspective from the right on the verdicts, the, the Manafort verdict and the Cohen plea. And what I noticed in the discussion is that there's a fair analysis of of what's happened and what the legal ramifications might be and what the political dynamics are. And it is littered with a built-in disdain for the left and just this reflexive need to kind of get little digs in and to say things like, of course, there's hysteria on the other side. It's like it, you can just tell that we've been practicing that for so long that we don't know what else to do. And that's really dangerous because the stakes of doing that are getting higher and higher and higher. And I, I think we're at this point now where we're really eroding our ability to have any protection through process because we as a public keep doing that. Because we don't think the process serves everybody. We think the process should just be exploited for our side. Right. We don't even think, I don't even think representatives at this point feel like, I certainly don't believe the president feels that he represents Democrats. As the president of the United States, I don't ever feel like in anything he says or does that he thinks he represents my interests as a Democrat. I just don't. I don't particularly feel that from my representatives. So Politico had a really, really great um, write-up at the beginning of their playbook today, and they called it the me, me, me era, and they talked about California Republican Duncan Hunter, and they talked about Chris Collins. It says, it's not enough that New York rep Chris Collins isn't an elected member of Congress. It's not enough that he's worth tens of millions of dollars. It's not enough that he is a direct line to the president of the United States. But Collins decided that he would sit on a board of a publicly traded pharmaceutical company while also sitting on a committee that regulates the pharmaceutical industry. When he got indicted on insider trading charges, he decided he'd stick around Congress, even though he's forging a re-election bid. It says, welcome to the me, me, me era. For generations, there was a party before self-ethos and politics. In scandal, step aside. Skeletons in the closet, don't run. Your time is up, move on. But many say there has been a creeping sense of self that seems more pervasive in contemporary politics. House Democratic leadership refuses to even entertain conversations about stepping aside, despite scores of Democrats who say they want a shot at the top of the party. If you dare mention that the party is is being run by near 80-year-olds, you'll be on the other end of an angry phone call. 
There is no better example of this phenomenon than President Donald Trump, who has ignored calls from his party's poobahs to talk relentlessly about tax reform and a brightening economy. Instead, against their wishes, he seems focused on the ballooning federal investigations into his campaign and administration. 236 House Republicans and six Senate Republicans are up for re-election in November, all of whom have to answer for the president's every musing. And I thought that was so true because politics has become celebrity and brand, just like you were talking about. And so there's no sense of this isn't about me, that this isn't just about my self-aggrandizement or my team's winning, that this is about the country. And I don't think I think it's because we as American citizens don't even see ourselves as a cohesive country. I feel so often when I hear people talk about either side that that it's like they feel like, well, it doesn't matter that the, the other side's not a part of the country. Well, of course they are. Of course they are. I was listening to the on being Beth has been going on and on about. It's so good. I shared on Instagram. I was like tearing up three minutes in. And Alain de Bonton says about family and love relationships, basically like you don't get to choose this person. And that's why we try to act our best because they're not going anywhere. You can't make them not your family. Right. And that's and until we can see ourselves as Americans as like they're not going anywhere. So. Let's deal with each other in in a kind of way we would deal with siblings who aren't going anywhere, no matter how awful they are to us, no matter how much they beat us up when our parents turn turn their head. Because I don't know any other path forward except for to split up. And I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that even with what I consider a morally bankrupt opposition, even with what I consider a totally incorrupt president. I don't want that. I want to stay America. Boy, was my face red. That's probably a good place to transition to the individual aspect of responding to these things. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, 
Whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Because I think a number of our listeners are struggling through maybe a little bit of schadenfreude. As they see what's happening with Cohen and Manafort, um, maybe a sense of hope that things are going to turn around and the disappointment, because we have many of these moments where it feels like, mm-hmm. oh, this is really going to make it change. And then it doesn't. And so you could feel hopeful and disappointed. You could feel disillusioned completely. I think it would be healthy for us to talk about. How do we process these things and what works for us and what doesn't work for us? What you're saying, Sarah, that that you always do that I think is so valuable is you always start with we all belong here in America together. And so I have to deal with the fact that there are lots of other people processing this very differently than me. I think it's awesome that every time a big story breaks about the president, you text your dad to say, how does this strike you? (laughs) <laughs> because you want to understand that other perspective. Well, and here's the thing. Look, in in a lot of moments, I'll be honest, I'm not really too all the way to we belong. It's very difficult to, for me to get to a space of feeling like white supremacists belong in America. What I do, as I talked about in the beginning of the show, is instead of trying to reach to my higher self, I just deal with the pragmatic reality, which is, We are here whether I believe that person belongs or not, whether I want them to be here or not. They are. I can't change that. I cannot change that. I cannot ask every person who believes every word out of Donald Trump's mouth and who believes he can do no wrong and who yells hateful, violent things at the press in these rallies or who says racist. I just, I can't make them leave. (laughs) And they can't make me leave as much as I'm sure they would like to. So I'm just, you know, I just have to to face the pragmatic reality of we are here together. And for better or for worse, 
I still think we are better served by being here together. There are people who left this country and live in other countries after the election. That is a, th- a choice people made. That's fine. I think that's a choice you can make. I think you, a choice can make is, I don't want to be a part of America anymore, if this is what it means. And that's fine. It's not where I'm at yet. I'm not there yet. I still want to be an American. And that still means occupying this place with other Americans whose opinions I do not like, whose ideas I find reprehensible. And so what I try to remember is instead of banging my head against a wall, trying to make them leave or disappear or be shamed into agreeing with me, which really is never going to happen, than to support the systems that we put in place, as imperfect as they are, in protecting against the consequences of some of these reprehensible ideas and beliefs. Well, let me make sure that I am clear about my view. I do not believe that white supremacy belongs in America. I think that is an idea that does not belong. I think it's an idea that generates all kinds of behaviors that do not belong. No form of bigotry belongs. I don't think the idea that two people of the same sex shouldn't get married belongs. Honestly, I don't have room for that idea anymore. But I have room for people who subscribe to that idea because they're still people And I think people always have a capacity to change. And just like I don't want to reduce someone to a gang member or a drug dealer or an illegal immigrant, I don't want to reduce someone to white supremacist, racist, bigot, murderer, you name it, right? We talk all the time about how we shouldn't define people by their worst characteristic. And so that's what I'm trying to really work on in myself. And I can do that work, especially because I'm not oppressed in any way. So I'm not asking everybody to do that work with me, but that's some of my work to do. And I believe that that's important and something that I've got to continue to work with. For me, taking in news like this, I just really want to see things clearly. I didn't want to comment at all on what happened in either of these matters until I had read the court documents. Now, again, I have a skill set that enables me to find and read those court documents and understand what they mean. And so I want to use that skill and then try to use that skill to help other people understand exactly what they mean. I don't want to write stories that aren't true. I don't want to bring a sense of where I think any of this is going. I just want to see things as they are. And I also want to stay focused on what I can influence. And I cannot influence this investigation. Our justice system is set up to not be influenced by me sitting here in Kentucky reviewing what's going on. And no matter how much I talk, tweet, think, write about it, I am not supposed to influence that process. It is in a container, and it's supposed to be in that container. What I am supposed to influence is our legislative process and the people who participate in that legislative process. So anything that I might feel about what's happening with the people around the president, I have to trust that our judicial system is responsive to. And if it stops being responsive to that, again, my only remedy is to go back to what I can do as a voter and a constituent of the legislature. So here's something I've been thinking about too, though, with regard back to the white supremacist. As I've been Looking, you know, sort of as we went through the slow burn and looking at the way, in particular, my region of the country, the Southeast, responded to that and responds to all these different 
controversies in ways that do not align with my values and have for generations. I feel like I've been thinking about sort of generational change. I think I just have to accept that I I believe people have a capacity for change. However, the pragmatic person in me understands that there are, although I have faith and I use hope as a muscle that people can change, there will always be people who feel like that, at least in the next several decades. And maybe that bigotry will look different 50 years from now, 100 years from now, but there will always be bigotry. I just feel like I have to sort of deal with that too. I have to deal with that a democracy will involve people who have bad motives and bad intent toward other citizens. And not that 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 they that they both do not deserve to be treated inhumanely or to be dehumanized, but that that will always exist. And I feel like I have to make my peace with that. And I say that because not to make my peace with it, but to to face it with open eyes and to understand, I think, in a moment like this, that it's not just about right now, that it's not as as all-consuming as our current news cycle is and as the Trump presidency is. I try to remind myself that I hope I'm committing myself to things that cannot be achieved within my lifetime. I hope that the work of America continues generations past my life. And with that perspective, to understand that there's a long game to be played here, that, that there is generational change that will have to be made, that there are small incremental changes that will play out over decades, and that when all seems lost, to remember that there's like a bigger story. I loved Krista Tibbett had a thing where she says, like, you have to remember Remember that headlines only respond to certain narratives, certain very short-term narratives, and to remember that there's always other work going on. And so I think I have to sort of make my peace with the fact that there will always be people with bad motives and bad intent, and that they will always be present in this country. And at the same time, that there will always be people working in bigger, long-term ways. I, I, I hope that we are part of that to change the country in in ways that will play out over generations that we might not even see, that we might not even see the result of. And that's so hard to do on a day when all the Cohen and Manafort news breaks and it feels like, well, it's not going to matter. Yeah, but not now. Now, it does not matter today. The the, re- the Republican leadership did not respond today. But this is a big story and a big country and a long narrative. That's not, you know, a day, a, one day in all of our lives is such a speck in the person in the the grand scheme of and that's what I have to remember too. I have to remember like the pragmatic reality of where we are right now and also that, you know, not to make our one day the end all being of of my existence or the country's existence. There's a poem that I really love by Dana Falds that says, "Take your place in the flow of grace." Mm. And I think about that line all the time because I feel like that's That's maybe my mantra. Just take your place in the flow of grace. And sometimes that means taking a very hard stand against ideas and behaviors that are abhorrent. And other times it means trying to be really clear about what's happening and really clear about what's not happening. What does this moment mean and what does it not mean? And I think at all times it means doing that zooming out that you were just doing to say, I am one life at one moment in history, and I want to be part of the long story in whatever way is available to me and in whatever way I think advances that long story of of human history. And I try to understand, as abhorrent as I find lots of ideas, that 200 years from now, I'm certain there are things that I have strong feelings about today that I will look back and think, that was really 
narrow. You know, that was wrong of me. That I, I fear lots of aspects of technology. And it may be that eventually those fears will look to me like a form of bigotry. I, I don't know. I, can, I, I cannot imagine all of the possibilities in front of me, but trying to continue to imagine all of those possibilities in front of me and looking at all of the possibilities behind me and learning as much as I can about what came before me in this long story helps me just try to have a sense of perspective in this particular day. So our goal is perspective. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsu Politics after a crazy news day as we, as we are wont to do, got super philosophical and zoomed way out. We're just working stuff out. We're just working stuff out here in real time. So we will be back in your ears on Tuesday. We are so excited. We will be interviewing Rachel Held Evans, author of the new book, Inspired. For those of you who don't know, Rachel has written several books um, regarding faith and um, the Bible, particularly the views surrounding women. Her The book that sort of made her famous was called A Year of Biblical Womanhood. Highly recommend it. So I can't wait to have a conversation with her. She is brilliant and amazing, and I'm really looking forward to that interview. Then we'll be picking up our series on 9-11, continuing with the post-9-11 world, both domestic and internationally. So we have a lot of exciting things coming up. Thank you for all your awesome feedback about our Amy McGrath interview, which was really fun to do. And until Tuesday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.